Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Some of my spiritual heroes lived in the 1600s. One of those is a Puritan by the name of John Flavel. He says this about the providence of God or the activity of God. Those terms would be interchangeable. The providence of God often goes beyond our imagination, often crosses our desires and designs to our great advantage. God does not give what we fancy, but what his infinite wisdom judges best and most beneficial. It often happens that probabilities are dashed and things remote and utterly improbable are brought about in very strange and unaccountable methods of providence. And that's exactly what we find in Luke chapter 1 when we look at God's activity and his providence in the lives of a young maiden named Mary and an elderly woman named Elizabeth. So I want us to look at this story today and their experience with God and focus on celebrating the activity or the providence of God together. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Begin, we'll begin reading in verse 39. So we focus on celebrating the activity of God. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity as your people to gather in your presence to celebrate the coming of your Son and the salvation which you have provided for us through his death and resurrection. How grateful and humbled we are when we consider that great sacrifice made for us. And how grateful we are that we can lean upon you and trust you in the circumstances of our lives. We thank you that you remain the same regardless of the ups and downs and twists and turns of our circumstances. And we can trust you. And so, Father, I pray that as we pour ourselves into this passage today and as we look at it, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us with hope. And so, Father, it is my prayer that you would please speak through me because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we too quickly bring it into our experience and don't think deeply about what they experienced and how God spoke to them and how it applied to them and then begin to move toward ourselves. If you move too quickly through this passage and you transfer yourself and your circumstances into that, uh, you don't find anything strange here in the fact that when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth is prompted by God to identify that Mary is the mother of the Messiah. Just think about that. Mary had not tweeted that she was going to go visit her relative. She had not posted on Facebook that she was expecting and that the gender reveal happened at the voice of an angel. Uh, she had not texted or called Elizabeth on a cell phone and told her that she was hoping to come and see her and shared with her the good news. None of that had happened. All that had happened was that Elizabeth had become pregnant. She knew that the child within her, through the message of the angel and the prophecy and prayer of her husband, that the babe inside of her would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would be that great prophet that was prophesied in the Old Testament. That was the extent 
of her knowledge and her experience. On the other hand, Mary knew that her relative, Elizabeth, was expecting a child in her old age. We don't know how much detail she was given by the angel about that other than what is recorded in Scripture. But when they come together, there's this great experience of the activity and providence of God to where when Mary simply greets her, there's this rush of emotion, this leaping in the womb of the baby, and a recognition that she is standing in the presence of the one who will give birth to the Messiah. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Those are multitudes of details that none of us would have at the birth of a child. And so we have to consider that or we miss part of the miracle and the mystery of what God has done here. But today I I want us to focus on the reality that a, a senior adult and a teenager are brought together by the activity of God. They are bonded in a special way, and they are continuing to be bonded because when we talk about Elizabeth, we always seem to do that in context of her interaction with Mary. And so what happened was, on both hands, they experienced the activity and the providence of God, and God brought them together to celebrate what he had done in each other's lives and what he was going to do in the lives of others through what he had done in and through them. So I want to ask you a question as we enter into the sermon today. With whom do you celebrate the activity of God? Do you have people in your life that when you see God do something, you sense God's direction or God speaks to you in a providential way from his word, whom do you turn to to share that with them? Much of my perspective spiritually came from my mother, a very godly woman, who identified the activity of God and celebrated that with people around her. And especially I'm grateful she did that in the life of her young son to where I grew up acknowledging and anticipating the activity of God. It can be something very simple. It can be an answer to prayer. It can be a a scripture that's meaningful. It can be the coming together of circumstances, a provision that God has given you. But if you celebrate that with someone, it strengthens and impacts that relationship. Some of the greatest moments that Deanna and I have ever shared have been in our marriage where we are celebrating the activity of God. In reality, that's how we were brought together was in the context of seeing God's activity all around us on a summer mission uh, adventure that we went on in California as college students, and God brought us together because we saw in each other someone with whom we could celebrate the activity of God. So, so that's an important question to keep in mind as we go into the passage. With whom do you celebrate the activity of God? And then secondly... Who is it in your life that encourages you to recognize God's providence in your life? 
Who is it in your life that encourages you to recognize God's providence in your life? Perhaps all of us have had this experience where we were rather confused, rather shaken by our circumstances, uh, kind of knocked out of balance a little bit, and someone not being pious or a super saint just who had come alongside us already, who was involved in our lives, somehow began to connect the dots and began to help us to see God's providence and his activity in our lives. We all need people in our life like that, and we all need to be people in the lives of other people for that purpose. So let's walk into this passage, these two people that were doing that very thing together. The first thing I want you to notice is this. A family of faith rejoices together over blessings and regroups under burdens. A faith-focused family rejoices together over blessings and regroups under burdens. That has been a real experience in our lives in the past two weeks. Us coming together to focus on God's activity in a very strange way, but a very powerful way in the life of our son. And we have we have regrouped together, we have prayed together, we've shared together, and, and God has brought great blessing into that. So if, if you're a family of faith, when that faith is at the center of your home, it transforms everything about you. When Christ is the central focus, you immediately think of him. You think of his name, you think of his character, you think of his activity, and it doesn't matter whether you're rejoicing together over a blessing from him or regrouping under a burden, trusting him to do what only he can do. Look back at verses 34 to 38 back at the scene where the angel has encountered Mary. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? There are some who would say that Mary came from a long list of people who gave birth as virgins. But I find that strange that Mary viewed a virgin birth as rather odd and impossible. So the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now let's focus for a moment on that word how. How can this be? The next question we usually have is, how are you going to do this, God? Both of those questions are answered. This is how it's going to be. This is how I'm going to make it happen, how God is going to make it happen. And then there's the encouragement. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, 
has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, just think about that. All of that is brought into her life and placed upon her heart, and then the angel has departed. We've had that experience, haven't we? Where we stood in the assurance of what God was doing, We came to understand the awesome love and activity of God flowing upon our life. It might have been in a worship service where we were worshiping him and adoring him. Then real life began to happen, and all of a sudden, it was like the angel departed, and now we've got to live it out. That's where she was. What will be the next thing she will do to whom will she turn where will she seek counsel how will she be accepted and will she be misunderstood and God in his activity and his providence prompted in her heart to go see her elderly relative Elizabeth Isn't that wonderful? At that point of what we would call a crisis pregnancy, going through this virgin birth, uh, delivering a baby with all of the slander and all of the misunderstanding that would surround that, she desperately needed someone that would speak a word of faith, hope and encouragement to her and God placed Elizabeth in her life. Here's what I believe. I believe every Mary needs an Elizabeth and every Elizabeth needs a Mary. Let's put it in a a broader context for us. Every young believer needs a seasoned saint to turn to And every seasoned saint needs a young believer to pour into. Haven't you found that to be a rich blessing in your life? Even as I say that, my mind is flooded by all the senior adults that were put in my life as a 17-year-old that since God calling him to preach, feeling very uncertain about what that would look like and how God was going to do that, but they came alongside me and poured into my life. But then when I would talk to them later, they would say that I was the blessing. And I would say, no, you are the blessing. And we realized that God had made us a blessing to each other. Because if you try to come together across that generational divide with any other form of unity, it doesn't happen. But when you're brought together by the activity of God, you are inseparable. 
And so what this did was it, it caused Mary to focus on what Elizabeth was going through and rejoicing in that. And it was also her drawing strength from the reality that she was having an unusual birth. Elizabeth and Mary come together and there is a great celebration of the activity of God. Another way we could say it for men is every Paul needs a Timothy and every Timothy needs a Paul. Every Mary needs an Elizabeth, every Elizabeth needs a Mary. That's the way God has structured the body of Christ. But if we polarize on those generational edges and we don't come together in that common ground of the Lord Jesus Christ, it never happens. But here it did, and what a beautiful picture it is. It tells us in verse 41... When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first family that is mentioned, and maybe one of the few, where father and mother and the child were all filled with with the Holy Spirit. We're told that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit when he prophesied and prayed. Elizabeth here is filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. The Holy Spirit is actively involved in this household. In their struggle and in the strain of being senior adults, having a baby, It says here that the Holy Spirit was at the very center of that. And then look at the other end of the spectrum in Mary's life. How did the angel describe how the baby would be born? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and will overshadow you and you will give birth to the Son of the Most High God. The common denominator here was that the Father was fulfilling His purpose in both of their lives. The father was doing it in drastically different ways. But the father was doing that by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was doing that by exalting and pointing to the coming of his son. It's a beautiful picture of how a triune God pulls his people together regardless of age differences, geographical distances, It doesn't matter. God is able to do that. And so I would encourage you, if you're in the realm of a Mary young in your faith, would you look for an Elizabeth to encourage you and to pour into you? And if you're an Elizabeth, an older believer or a a mature believer, would you look for a Mary, a younger believer, to encourage Here's what Matthew Henry says in commenting about verse 43. Where Elizabeth says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? He says this. While we cannot but own that we are more favored of God than we deserve... 
let us by no means envy that others are more highly favored than we are. That could have happened in Elizabeth's life, couldn't it? She was having baby number two, so to speak. He would always be second to the Savior. It would be his job to gather a crowd and and give it away to Jesus. John the Baptist would be the one that would shine the light on Jesus. But somehow God knew that Elizabeth was worthy of the challenge and he could trust Zachariah and Elizabeth with that. And rather than envying the fact that Mary was young and having a baby that would be the Messiah, she was enthused about it. You see, you can't envy and be enthused at the same time. And in order to be an encourager, you have to die to all envy. What a critical moment that was. But because Elizabeth had died to envy and was alive to encouragement, she made a profound impact on Mary's life. So back to the point, a family of faith rejoices together over blessings and regroups under burdens. But then secondly, a family of faith focuses on him more than them. A family of faith focuses on him more than them. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then notice, she does not mention herself in the rest of this. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength. With his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." Mary did not view herself as a special case with God. She simply viewed herself as a small piece in the puzzle of God's providence. She recognized, yes, God is at work in my life, but yes, this is bigger than me. This didn't start with me, and it doesn't end with me. We have to live in that same spirit, don't we? I'm not the first, and and what I experience is not the worst. It's not like I'm a special case. I'm just a, a tiny piece in the puzzle of providence that God is using to fulfill his purpose 
and his plan. And so her whole focus was on the Lord. Now, if, if you're a woman expecting a baby, just from my observation, you have a multitude of focuses, right? You're focusing on the well-being of the baby. You're focusing on your health in order that it's for the baby. You, you um, have everybody looking at you. But notice what Mary did. Elizabeth says, you are, you're in my presence. Why, why is the mother of my Lord here? And, and she doesn't say, here I am. She says, this is who he is. This is what he's done. I'm just a tiny piece in that puzzle of providence. And even as Elizabeth asked that question, why is it given to me that the mother of my Lord should come see me? She was putting the focus on him. People who celebrate the activity of God and, and participate and celebrate his providence focus more on him than them. Why is that? Number one, they long to bring fame to his name. They long to bring fame to his name. Think about this. What was John's primary role? To magnify Jesus. To magnify the Father's activity and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, isn't that what his mom was doing? You see the impact and the dynamic of God using people in each other's lives. When John the Baptist was born, he was born into a couple's life who would give fame to the name of Jesus. And they encouraged him and nurtured him in that. And so when Mary begins her song of praise, and many call it the Magnificat, which is completely appropriate, one thing you notice is it consists entirely of her alluding to or quoting from Old Testament Scripture. Now remember, she didn't have a copy of the Old Testament in her possession. She hadn't been to 10 vacation Bible schools every summer. But God was blessing what had been poured into her life, and she is bringing fame to his name. And then secondly... A reason they focus more on him than them is they long to not bring any shame to his name. I love Jesus and I, I want to bring fame to his name, but, but I also, keeping with that, I do not want to bring any shame to his name. That was the attitude there. So a family of faith that celebrates the activity of God together focuses on him more than them. And then finally, 
a family of faith recognizes that God's blessing extends beyond their individual lives, needs, and circumstances. Notice in verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Then look down at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Here's what she was experiencing. And she and Elizabeth were celebrating that what God had begun in the past and what God would purpose in the future had come into and through their lives to that culmination of God's providence and his plans for all eternity. Generation to generation, Abraham forward, all the way to forever. What a beautiful picture that is. So I want to remind us today, the river of providence precedes us. God didn't start working with you. What God is doing with you and in you and through you is just a continual flow of his providence and his activity. He's been doing that and he will continue to do that in many people's lives. We are the recipients of that and we are the reservoirs of that. And what a beautiful experience that can be for us because it precedes us and then it passes through us and then it proceeds beyond us. Isn't that beautiful? Providence permanently imprints our life and our relationships because he is at work within us. It permanently imprints our life and relationships because God's blessing extends beyond our individual lives, needs, and circumstances. Here's another quote from John Flavel. There are tools of all sorts and sizes in the workshop of providence and a most skillful hand that uses them. We find a multitude of providences so timed to the minute that had they fallen out just a little sooner or a little later, they would not have had the same impact. Haven't you experienced that? Had it fallen out and been used by God a little earlier or a little later, it wouldn't have had the same impact. Last night as I was meditating on my text for today and formulating some statements to make in my sermon, I got a text from a friend that I have not heard from in, in months. He lives in New Mexico. Well, actually, he's moved to Texas now. This is what his text said. You know, every time this time of year, I always think of you and Santa delivering bicycles to kids in Eunice, New Mexico. Love you, brother. I sure miss doing that with you. And immediately my mind was flooded 
with an experience that happened around Christmas that was God's activity. And it has bonded me and this friend for some 20 years. And it all had to do with bicycles. It was just a few days before Christmas. The boys were pretty young. We were finalizing Christmas shopping and plans and preparing to host family. And someone walked into the church office and I believe the check was for $3,000 that they wanted spent before Christmas and invested in the lives of families in need. Well, I was kind of overwhelmed. I, I knew what my schedule looked like. I knew what my friend's schedules looked like. And, and school was getting out that day. And so I, I went as quickly as I could and got the ch- school nurse and the school counselor together. And I said, are there any families that have unmet needs? And they said, not that we know of. Now we're talking a, a community at, that was about a third the size of ours. And many groups had helped and they had joined forces to meet these needs. And if the school counselor and the school nurse said there were no overlooked families, then I had a large check and a small window of opportunity to do something. And I said, well, uh, so they have clothes, yes, Uh, What about toys? Oh, we've got way too many toys. I said, what about bicycles? They both said, you know, we didn't give away a single bicycle. And I said, great, we'll do that. So I called Walmart that was about 30 minutes away from us and um, asked them, about bicycles and the nurse and the counselor had helped me to find um, the ages and the sizes of bikes we might need, which $3,000 at that point, 20 years ago, would buy quite a few bicycles. So I called Walmart, talked to the guy, to the bike guy, and he was going to have them ready for us. And then we went over there to pick out some colors and work with him. And he said, well, I'll get those boxes out here tomorrow afternoon. So this was on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. That was on Sunday. On Monday, I go to pick up the bicycles. And he didn't say boxes. He said bicycles. Well, they're all in boxes. So we loaded them on the trailer. And I called this friend that texted me last night on the way back. And I said, David, I need some help. And he said, what's that? And I said... I have this many bicycles to put together. Well, he knows my handyman capabilities and my ability to put things together without having extra parts or anything like that. And so he said, oh, no. And I said, could you help us tonight at the church? And he said, yes. And I said, I'm going to call some other guys. We got a group of guys and their sons, and we unloaded those boxes into the fellowship hall and We ripped them open, and and we began to put bicycles together. 
We got them all put together, and, and it smelled like a tire shop in our fellowship hall with all of that fresh, brand-new rubber tires on those bicycles. Everyone was feeling fulfilled and, and glad that we had finished the task, and, and I said, well, let's join hands and pray around these bicycles because we're going to deliver them tomorrow, and they, which was, I think it was Christmas Eve. And they said, we're what? I said, well, we got to deliver them tomorrow. Okay, great. So we held hands. And with tears in our eyes, we, we prayed over those bicycles, prayed for God to guide us. I spent that evening going through and making a list of addresses and places we were going to take these bicycles. We had three trailers, and we had trucks to pull the trailers, and we got to the church, we loaded up the bicycles, we went out, and we were gone about an hour when we realized that most of the people that we were going to give a bicycle to were gone for the holidays. So I started getting calls on the cell phone saying, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to meet back at the church and we're going to regroup. So we met back at the church. Uh, we prayed. And then it occurred to me after we prayed, I said, none of these people knew they were getting a bicycle. The last thing we want to do is leave a bicycle on a porch and uh, let somebody steal it and go sell it. So here's what we do. Forget the list. Everybody hand me your list. And let's just take off through the community and give away bicycles to every kid we find. And so we did. And it was a hoot and a half. It was fun. So we started driving through our area, and I was with David, and, and we were driving through uh, the area assigned to us, and we, we saw a kid on an old bicycle, and we pulled up to him, and I said, hey, you want to trade bikes? And he said, what? I said, you want to trade bikes? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, we got a brand new one if you'll give us that old one. Are you kidding me? And I said, no. And he he traded bikes, and he said, well, you follow me to my friend's house right down here? He'll trade bikes with you, too. And I said, great. And so he went and got his friend. We traded bikes. And the other groups were having the same experience. Well, David and I are driving along, and this truck comes flying up next to us, pointing, saying, pull over, pull over. And this guy looks pretty angry. So I get out, and he gets in my face. He says, did you just give my little girl a bike? And I said, well, I gave a girl a bike. I don't know if it was yours. And he said, well, she said you gave it to her. Did she steal it, or did you give it? I said, we gave it to her. And he said, well, I got three other kids at the house that are upset because she got a bike, and they didn't. And I said, well, guide us to your house. We got more bikes. And so we took them. Well, we did that all day. We were exhausted but very enthused about what was going on. It came near the end of the day. And, and we drove by a house, and there was a teenager out in the yard, and we stopped, and I knew him to be Stephen. And I said, hey, Stephen, you need a bike? Sure. I said, well, pick a bike. We're about to drive off, and a little boy and his aunt are standing on the porch. He's uh, probably five years old. And um, I knew her, and she hollered to me, and she said, can he get a bike, too? 
And I said, sure. And so we got out of the truck, and I pointed to David's son. I said, hey, Corey, why don't you give him that red bike there? It was just his size. We gave it to him. We went back to the church. We cried and we prayed and we thanked God for the joy of getting to give away bicycles. We thought that was the extent of it. A few days after Christmas, that little boy's aunt came to our house. And she said, I can't talk about this without sobbing. And so uh, read this. And I can't even stand here while you read it. And she left. I opened the letter. And she said, last year when my brother was killed in an accident, which actually happened during our Christmas cantata the year before, I knew that I needed to take those two boys in and raise them. But I didn't think I had the means to do that. But I prayed and I trusted God that I could with his help. And so for the past year, we have faced challenges and trials, but it came to Christmas time. She called the name of the little five-year-old and she said, he, he can't talk real well. He kind of runs words together and, and he kept saying he wanted a fluffy rocket for Christmas. She said, I got Stephen to talk to him and he couldn't figure out what a fluffy rocket was and, and none of us could figure it out. We took him to the store and he sat in Santa's lap and at the park he sat in Santa's lap and he said I want a fluffy rocket and even Santa was puzzled by that she said but then on Christmas Eve a truck came driving up in front of our house just before you drove away I asked if he could have a bicycle and and you pointed to Corey and he turned and took a puffy rocket off of the trailer and handed it to him. And she said, you know, I've been pretty discouraged lately. Wondering how God is going to provide for us. But if God knows that that boy needs a huffy rocket when all he can say is a fluffy rocket, then I can trust him with the It's those little things, isn't it? Like a bicycle. But God magnifies his providence in that. And I don't know what your needs are. I don't know how discouraged you might be. But I know, and that aunt would tell you, God knows what you need. You can trust him. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, 
please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.